The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Joshua 1. And the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am going, giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, that will be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of a good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance all the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and of a good courage." that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right nor to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Have not I commanded you? What? Be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then I'd like read the next couple verses. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you will cross this Jordan and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Then skip down, and it talks about the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh that were going to stay on, this, on the uh, east side of the Jordan. And then he goes down in 16. The people answered Joshua, saying, All that you commanded us we will do. What did they say? All that he commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. What did he say? What did they say? Even Estonia, like Joy Griffin went. Even to Wilmore, <laughs> like some of you have done, a lot of you. Have not... It's, all that you command us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so will you heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commands and does not heed your work in all that you command them, they will be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage. Dear Lord Jesus, we just love you today, and we praise and magnify your, your holy name. And, oh, Lord Jesus, we feel like we wish today that there was some way to be able to share the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. 
but oh father there's no way in and of ourselves and father we ask today that you would come jesus you would come and you would meet every single one of us there's not a woman here that needs to hear from me but every one of us father need to hear from you lord we're broken needy sheep and we need you dear lord jesus the good shepherd we ask holy spirit you might quicken the word to our hearts that lord it truly might be the word that breaks the rock in pieces that comes and father doesn't return void you promised and that lord even right now you would open it up to all of our hearts and we might meet as sisters at the feet of a resurrected savior who was broken and died for us and that out of this fellowship time together we might go forth to touch the world for god not through any merits of ourselves but only because of your mercy. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Dear Lord Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. I just wish today there was some way you could bridge the words to share what Jesus has said to my heart this week. But there aren't words, and it's only if he comes today and opens the word to us that we will have what he needs. But all I can say is that Jesus can meet every need of our hearts. And the best of yet, as Wesley said, is God is with us. And the beautiful thing about Joshua is that Jesus is the good shepherd that goes before so let's just trust him the day that we can just hear him and then in spite of the vessel, he would come and meet us. Let's look right at and just go verse by verse here. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that who spoke? God spoke. And to whom did he speak? We have a God who is relational, and if you and I will get in a position to hear him, he is speaking to you and to me on a daily basis. Is that not an incredible thing? And just as he spoke, so God spoke to Joshua. The first part of this chapter is God's charge to Joshua. The second is Joshua's charge to the people. The third is the people's response to Joshua. So that we have here the first nine verses where God talks to Joshua and lays before him what he's got in mind. Now, it's interesting that this is a continuation. It's like it just carries through what happened in Deuteronomy. So that he said, after the death of Moses, then the Lord came to Joshua. He is the next in line. Now, we have, after our study last year, we changed the name of our Bible study to the Titus Women's Bible Study. And some of you who weren't here say, well, why did you pick that unusual name? Because it, out of that study, what came on our hearts was the fact that it says the older women, our beautiful verse here, are to teach the younger women what it means to walk with God. And then what it, they are to teach the younger women is to start at home with their husbands loving them, with their children loving them, to be chaste, to be pure, to be self-controlled, to be keepers at home, and to be submissive. And submission in God's idea is to deliver me from the tyranny and to put me into the place of freedom 
that I do not have to always have my own way. So that we saw that last year in Titus. But we see it again, an Old Testament principle, the same thing where you have an older man in this case teaching a younger man what it means to walk with God and what it means to lead the people of God. And you and I said, well, I'm not a Joshua. I'm not a leader. Every single one of us is a leader. You may be leading four little children that are five and under, but you are a leader of those four. You may be leading in a home. You may be leading at an office. You may be, there's a sphere of influence that every single woman in this room has, and it is uniquely hers. It is not mine, it is yours. And God has called all of us to make us soul winners and disciple makers, and that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is so close, so on fire that there's a spillover, and every single one of us is investing in someone else. And do you know what? Chaos didn't come to the people of God because God, Moses, allowed God to make him a disciple maker. And what happened? In place was a man called Joshua. And Joshua could hear God. The question is today, are you and I taking that seriously? Are you and I in a position of walking with God so intimately? Do we know him so closely that we are investing in other people's lives? And if we are wives and mothers, we need to start right there. And then if we need to say, God, who else do you have for us? Is it the lady in the carpool, the neighbor, the Bosnian family across the street? Who is it that you want me to begin to pray over and begin to share with what Jesus has meant in my life and what he can do for them to set them free? So at the very beginning, it ties in with the whole purpose of our study. So we see Moses is dead. Is there a mentor in your life or my life? And you say, well, I really can't know God because you know how I am. I'm just here alone in Wilmore, and I, don't, I, I always just depended on the church back home or I depended on my mom or you know, the lady that led me to the Lord. I mean, I really just couldn't hear God for myself because I'm just a plain, ordinary woman, and I, you really need to have somebody else be there for me to tell me what God says. And God is in the business of relating to you and I, and we do not need to have PhDs, XYZs, MDs, or any other Ds. All we need to have is an available, open heart, and he loves to work with ordinary people because there's something so sweet about our eternal God. In his economy, there is no ordinary person. Everyone is so uniquely different with a unique relationship to him, that if he does not have your love full and steadfast and all of it, there is a hole in the heart of God because you're not there. (laughs) There's a hole in the heart of God. That's how much he cares about you and I. So are you and I dependent on another person? God says, don't. Let him go. Begin to look to me. Begin to cultivate a relationship with me. Begin to let me be the one that teaches you. It's all right to take from other people. But so that your cart strings are tied, let them be tied to me. So Moses has died, and Joshua's alone, and he can't relate to God anymore through Moses. He has to begin to relate on his own. So we say, so over here we say, Look, and it says, Moses spoke to him. God, uh, the Lord spoke to Joshua. 
Five times in this chapter, they refer to Moses. And the, what they say about Moses was he was a servant of God. <laughs> and maybe he could reproduce his life in another one because he is a servant of God. Are you a servant? Am I a servant? I think the last verse gives us an indication of what it means to be a servant of God. It, it says here that they were willing to go wherever he sent them, and they were willing to do whatever God told them to do. So he says, what are they to do first? Arise, Joshua, and go over the Jordan, you and all this people. So God's call to Joshua is don't stay where you are, but go cross the Jordan. He's hemmed in by the wilderness on one side and the Jordan River on the other. And he says, don't stay here. You're trapped. There's more that I have for you, Joshua, and the people of God, if you will just appropriate it into your life. I have begun to give, begin to possess. God's call comes and he says, arise, go across the Jordan. So, he, and the next thing he tells him is, he says, arise, go across the Jordan, and he gives him a promise. And in his promise, he says, I will give you possessions. Every place that the sole of your foot touches, it will be yours. I will give you protection. Everyone that stands against you, you will have power over the enemy. I will give you my presence. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I give you my presence. So what God calls Joshua to do with the people of God, God provides for. He says, I have given you a call. Don't stand on this side of the Jordan. Cross over. Don't live anymore in the wilderness or trapped. I've got more for you. I've got myself and all that that means in its fullness. I want you to be willing to go over the Jordan and possess the promised land. But I am calling you to something that I'm not calling you to do alone. I will give you, I will give you the promise that every place you go, I will give it to you. I will give you protection so that your enemies won't eat you up as you begin to go forward and do what God wants you to do. And I will give you my presence so that you will know without a shadow of a doubt that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I remember when God began to make these things real in my own life. And, some, and I remember we, were, we had come back from Colombia and we were in Great Britain. And God had worked in, in, in Latin America in my heart, but he really began to do a new thing in my soul when I was in England because there was no support group. There were no other godly, godly, godly missionaries. There were no close friends. Al and I were in graduate school alone. We had gotten in contact with one other couple, and they got a flat. we got a flat, but we knew no one when we arrived. So my Moses was gone. My mother was on this side of the ocean. My folks were here. My close friends, my Colombian missionary prayer partners were all in Colombia. And we were in England all alone. And I was in trauma. Not as much trauma as when I went to Latin America because everyone did speak English, but trauma. And I said, oh, Lord. And then to compound it, when we got to Great Britain, 
The community in which we lived was incredibly intellectual. I went to a Bible study that met every other week, and there were 11 women in that group who were PhD candidates. And there were eight nationalities in that group. And it was a tremendously cosmopolitan, intellectual group of women. I was a young mother with two children. Then if they weren't absolutely eggheads of the highest caliber, they were incredibly gifted with their hands. They did brass rubbings. They did, they did all kinds of a needlepoint and stitch. I mean, you, they put beads on. Oh, you just wouldn't believe. I was incredible. Or they painted or they could sing. I mean, they were an incredibly talented group. So during this period of trauma, uh, just change in my life and trying to find myself, I said, oh, Lord, I need to find myself. And he began to say, why don't you begin to find yourself in me in a new dimension? Because I've removed your support system. I said, well, I don't think that's very comfortable. <laughs> I'd rather have someone with skin on if you please don't mind. And he, and he said, well, why don't you try me? So he gave me... We lived in an English flat, you know, it's very long room, very old house, and they had one little space heater. And so there was a green chair by the one little space heater. So I'd huddle up with my robe, my blanket on, and put my Bible down there. And when the kids took naps, God gave me a certain amount of time he wanted me to spend with him. And he said, begin to find yourself in me. So I began to try that. The time that he gave me seemed incredibly long. And I remember setting the clock and praying for everyone down the street, up the street, everybody in my family, everybody I knew, and about four and a half, two and a half minutes had gone by. And I said, Lord, so then I did it again, and I prayed it again, and at two and a half, I thought, this is five minutes. I'll never live through the time you gave me. You're trying to kill me off, Jesus. And then he quietly said, he said, sit there in my presence, and I'll teach you to pray if you'll be quiet and just listen and read the word. So I began to do that on a daily basis, on a daily basis. And the... And I was, I said, Lord, I'm disappointed. I'm still not gifted musically. I'm still not gifted with all the artsy things. I'm still not a PhD candidate. Lord, what do you have in mind? I'm just this, they're just an ordinary woman. He said, just be quiet and keep getting to know me. So I kept trying to get to know Jesus. He began to keep doing new things in my heart. Well, he, what he began to do is I began to have a revival go on in my soul. He got nearer and dearer, and I could see him working. I could see him dealing with things in my life that needed to be dealt with. And it got so everybody that came through my door, I began to talk to them about Jesus. And I'd say, oh, don't you just want to pray before we go? Well, I had a precious prayer partner, Margaret, whose husband teaches at Trinity now. And so one day she said to me, Beth, you're just a little overboard, honey. She said, you don't have to do that. You're a little fanatical. Let's just pull it in just a little bit. You know, you don't have to just. You're. So I said, oh, okay. And in sincerity of heart, I said, oh. So I thought, I'll just pull it in a little bit. So I, I just stepped back a little. I didn't pray. I didn't meet at the green chair quite as often. And I began to notice that something happened in just a matter of days. His presence and the joy in my heart, he got farther and farther from me. 
And there came a sadness and a forlornness in my soul. And I said, oh, geez. And I said, oh, I need to be more tactful and not so aggressive. But I said, there was this forlornness in my soul. Well, we were invited to tea at an English tea. And Mar we were there. And I never said anything after a week of not meeting him at all. And we had the tea. The people were totally unsaved. And when I left the tea, Margaret turned to me and said, well, I was waiting for you to share. And you never did. You just blew it. And I went back to my green chair and I said, Jesus, sometimes I'm too ardent and sometimes I'm not ardent enough and I have lost my way. Have you ever lost yours? And Jesus said as I got back to my green chair, you don't need to leave, talk to others about me because they need it. You need to share what I've done in your life because you need the living reality of my presence to come out of your mouth like our verse said and in that frame of mind on a Saturday morning I got up and cleaned and around one in the afternoon when my kids had naps there was a knock at my door and there was an old doctor an English doctor and his wife who had been missionaries in India and they said hello Beth and I said, well, how did you come to Cambridge? Did you come to market? And they said, no, we came to see you. And I said, oh, no, you must mean you came to see Al. You don't, they met Al, they didn't know me. I said, no, we came to see you. So I was intimidated. I said, oh, please come in. And we sat around and I went into the kitchen to try to make an English tea. Never did get down cucumber sandwiches too well, but I tried and I served the tea and as we sat there having tea, the old gentleman said, I have something I'd like to share from my heart to your heart. And this is true. He said, we were missionaries in India and there was a great dryness in our souls. In fact, we fought. The missionaries fought with each other. Nobody liked each other. We didn't like the Indians particularly. We didn't like each other. We just were in a state of backslidden misery. And finally, God began to talk to our hearts, and one of the missionaries said, we need to get alone with God and get our act cleaned up. So they said, let's go up to the mountain and seek God. He said, the whole missionary crew went up to the mountain, and do you know how long we had to spend on that mountain? six weeks our lives were so full of garbage and by the end of six weeks living together praying together crying together confessing our faults to one another so that we might be healed getting vulnerable and transparent because before the eternal god and each other do you know what happened we came down the to the valley and revival broke out and you know, he said, the sweetest part of the revival for me, we didn't even have to preach in the villages. The people came to us. The sweetest part is I had a Hindu egg man that had delivered eggs for 23 years to our mission. And the day after we came from the home, there was a loud bamming on the gate. And he said, let me in, let me in. He said, I want to know what God said to you on that mountain, and I want Jesus Christ in my heart. And with that kind of freedom of the Spirit in our lives, God began to move through our whole part of India. And then he said, Beth, 
You don't need to spend less time in his presence. Spend more. And then they said, well, we've got to go. Gathered up their things and left. And I went back to that little green chair and I said, oh, Jesus, I cannot believe of all the women in the universe that in the honest confusion of my soul, you would send that man that I didn't even know to tell me what I needed to know, that what really matters in life is that Jesus needs to be the center, the locus, the focal point, and the way we know him is through his eternal word. And if we know him, we need to get a little green chair in our life, and we need to sit in his presence, even if we think he'll die, and say, Jesus, I'm not letting go of you till I get to know you and you know me. And do you know, I think that's what's happened in Joshua's life. He knew God. And it definitely was the case with Moses in the end of Deuteronomy. It says he knew God face to face, friend to friend. Do we know him like that? It takes time for relationships and it takes time to be a friend of God. So what did he do? God promises himself, I am calling you to something. I'm calling you to something that's bigger than you are. It is a God-sized task that there is no way you can do it in your own strength. Some of us are reading Experiencing God, and I love that book by Blackaby. It's a Southern Baptist book, and it says, God calls us to God-sized tasks that are way too big for us because then all the world can say, Look what God has done. There is no way that you and I could do it. And that's why he has to say over and over again, be strong and have a good courage. Be strong and have a good courage. Now, did you miss that? Be strong and have a good courage. And four times in this little chapter, he says what? Be strong and have a good courage. Because if you and I begin to walk with God and begin to really get God's heartbeat in our lives so we can really hear what he's saying to us, God will begin to lay on our hearts something that is absolutely too big to us for us to do and that will frighten us to death. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm there. And every place that I'm calling you to, I will give it to you. And your enemies will not triumph over you. There is power in the blood of the Lamb, and you can go forward in my presence to that God-sized task, and I will do it for you, in you, through you, and sometimes in spite of you. Praise Jesus. Then in this book by Blackaby and Experiencing God, he gives an example of when his church began to walk in revival and began to listen to God and wait on God on a daily basis and get their hearts revived. You know what he said? He said they began to have revival in their church, and like Laura said this morning, their eyes began to expand. And they were in Canadians and lived in Saskatchewan, and God laid upon them the university. And they said, we need to have outreach to the university. So for two years, they tried to have an outreach to the university. They had never done student, student work, so they consulted the Southern Baptist Convention and said, now how do we do student work? They said, the best way to do student work is start with Bible studies in the dorm. I said, oh, that sounds good. So for two years, they tried to start Bible studies in the dorm. Nothing. So they went back to God said, Lord, we've tried to start Bible studies in the dorm. We thought we heard your call. 
And Blackaby says he got along with God and gave him two week. We know, let's go where God is working. And we know that none is righteous, no, not one, and that if anybody responds to God or talks to you about God this week, it means that God is working. And if God is working, whatever you're doing, and they talk to you, you just stop everything and go where God's, call, go where God's working. So the college kids went back to the university. Wednesday morning came. One of the girls was in class. After class, a girl came up to her and said, said I've been in class with, two, with you for two years, and I think you may be a Christian. She said, there are 11 of us that are meeting in the dorm, and none of us are Christians. But she said, do you know what? We are um, very interested in finding out what it means to be a Christian, so we've been studying the Bible, and we don't understand it. Would you know anybody that would be willing to lead us in a Bible study once a week? And the beautiful thing was, when that girl asked her that, this young college girl from the church had a class the next hour. But she remembered Blackaby's word. She goes, oh, God must be working. So she said, I stopped everything, went to the cafeteria, and talked to her. And that was the results of the conversation. She said, after I talked to her, we went back, and out of that one contact, three Bible studies were started in the woman's dorm and two in the men's dorm. God did in one week what we had been trying to do for him in two years. So that's what God's calling us to. We're not responsible to get into the promised land. We're not responsible to do the work of God. We're just responsible to see where God's working and then what he wants us to do to be a part of it and to go with God. Not to say, God, this is the work I have in mind. Please bless my efforts. But say, no, God, what do you have in mind? And let us go where you're working so that we live and move in the flow of the Spirit. So that they come, so that God's challenge to them is be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. I am not calling you to something you can do. I know you can't do it. But will you be an available vessel for my spirit to work through so that people that are on my heart and are interested in me but don't have anyone to tell them about me, you are willing and available for my spirit to use? Isn't that exciting? So God's commission to Joshua was arise and go over Jordan. And then he promises his that he's with him, that he would protect him, and his presence. His challenge is that we were to be strong and of a good courage. And you say, how do I get to be strong and of a good courage? One of the ways we get to be, the main way we have strength and courage is when we are in the word. And that's why he says you're to meditate on the word day and night. You are not to just let it be every once a week on Sunday morning. You're not to be spoon-fed by the preacher. You are to get in the Word, and I am to get in the Word, and let the Word feed our souls on a daily basis so that we are strong and courageous to know what God has on His heart for your life and my life. And without living in the Word and feeding on the Word, we cannot do it. So he says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written. And then your way will be prosperous, and then you will 
have good success, then God will be in it because you and I will get to know the heart of God and know what he is saying to us. And then he says, be strong and of a good courage. Now the rest of the chapter, he says, prepare, prepare provisions for the journey. Because you and I go into battle and we have to know the word to get ready to go into the promised land. We have to be courageous, but then we also have to get our souls ready and our hearts ready. And some of you are here in Wilmore preparing your provisions. That's why you're in school or your husbands are in school so that you can be ready to go be available in a better dimension for what God has for you. And that's the tremendous thing about the gospel. God is not only interested in us spiritually. That's what the promised land did, is. It's all of God's fullness for you and I. So it touches not only our spiritual life, that we would know him and have an intimate relationship with him, but God's interested in every other part of our life. He's interested in, in the crafts things. He's interested in the music. He's interested in the intellectual things. He, he made them, and they're all part of who we are. And when you and I get our center right with Jesus Christ, we will be smarter. We will be more quickened by the Holy Ghost in every other area of our life because there will be an impetus of the Holy Spirit in our life that is released that is not released when we are not walking with him in fullness. Do you remember the story of George Washington Carver? The tremendous black man. He died in 1942 and he was born, they think, around 1961 and he was son of slave parents. And his mother was taken in a raid and he never saw her again. Her, his daddy was, um, died when he was a, a, ba a young boy. So he was an orphan. But he found Jesus Christ. And he loved him. All his life he loved him. And George Washington Carver, he, he had an incredible, insatiable appetite to learn. And even as a child would go out into the woods and gather berries, he planted a garden. He would he'd, um, make, taught himself to read. He'd uh, take all the different parts of the fauna and all the outdoors things. He, he'd categorize them. He was a scientist from the day one. And he could not, he, in his love for Jesus, there was this insatiable hunger to learn. So he worked his way through elementary school, through high school, through college, against incredible odds, as you can imagine. And then he became a scientist that worked at Tuskegee Institute, and he opened up the secrets of the peanut, the soybean, and the little, some kind of pea. Because he sensed that the South was going through such trauma as they were changing their economy from a cotton economy and they needed some other options for Southern farmland. So he went to Jesus and said, Jesus, will you open these up to me? One was a sweet potato. And, got, and he began, worked on a laboratory that were things, some of which he got out of a dump. And God began to open up the secrets of those those plants and so that the agriculture in the south was transformed in the end of his life he always worked out of this little 
laboratory. Somebody gave them real modern equipment. And they said, now, and he never patented a thing. Only one thing he patented. He said, I want it all to be available for the people of God. And for anybody who can use it, he said, I don't want any money. I just want it. All truth is God's truth, and it should be available to every man. At the end of his life, they gave him some fine instruments, and he became a very famous man to be able to use in his laboratory. And someone said, Carver, you're really going to be able to do miracles now. Oh, he said, no, only God does miracles. I just listen. And then he tells me what I'm supposed to do and what the secrets are. But all the miracles belong to God. That's a kind of quickening God can put in our intellect. Do you know who started the first female university in Korea? Christians. Iwa University, the largest women's university in the world. Who started education for women in China? Christians. Who built the first hospitals in Africa? Christians. God isn't bound just to our spiritual life. All of truth is God's truth. And if you and I get in the center, what you love and enjoy, he wants to not strip away from you and I. He wants to maximize it. It just cannot be an idol. It has to be under his surrender and under his control. So he can be set free to really use it the way he's made it for you to be used through you and by you. So then the last thing is, he says, prepare your provisions. What you need to do to be all you can be for Jesus, go for it. And then he says, the Transjordan tribes were there, and he said to the tribes, listen, you have to help your brothers. You've settled on this side of Jordan. God's calling them to go to the other side. You cannot sit here with your inheritance as the people of God. You have to get others help give others their inheritance. And this was the mark of his leadership. They had made a promise to Moses, and he is calling them to accountability, that they are responsible, that they not only get their inheritance, but that the rest of the people of God inherit what they are, what they are supposed to get from God, and they are to help them. Once again, God doesn't just save us for ourselves. God says there are other people that you and I are to take responsibility for that they would be able to cross over the Jordan and get all that God has for them. And then the last part is the challenge to the people. The people respond to Joshua. And what do they say? Lord, I'll be glad to go if it's convenient, comfortable, and safe. Lord, I'll be glad to obey you if it's what I want to do. No. They respond just like God is asking you and I to respond. The secret of beginning to possess the promised land is if you and I would come to him the same way and say, Lord, all that you say unto me, I will do. Obedience. Any place you want me to go, I will go. Availability to the Holy Spirit. Do you know why the work of God struggles? It's because you and I are not available to his spirit and you and I are not obedient and not willing to do what he says to do because you and I want to stay so busy that we don't have to hear God's agenda for our life. We want to do our own thing, our own way, in our own time.
And I think God is saying to us today the same thing he said here. I have begun to give, begin to possess, but will you make yourselves available to me today by the Holy Spirit? Will you say, yes, Jesus, I will go to the neighbor next door. I will go down the street. I will go to my son and daughter. Will you say, I will obey you no matter what it costs, Jesus. I will obey you. Let's pray. Jesus, we just pray today that you would quicken the word to our heart and you would make us obedient to you and that we would be available to you. Surrender our will for your will and we would be available and obedient vessels that you might shine out of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.